like to welcome everybody to our next uh, installment of our End Times podcast series. My name is Keith Sieber. I'm pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida, and this will be part two of the plotline of prophecy that we started in our last podcast. Uh, we're going to be reading from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Before we read that, I just want to take a few moments to talk about our our church, our services this past weekend, this past Sunday. Uh, today is Monday uh, as I'm recording this, and we just had our services yesterday. It was uh, the Sunday that we revealed our theme for the year, and our theme for the year is compassion. And, and some have compassion making a difference. So compassion making a difference is our theme for the year. And of course, that's from Jude. 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. So our, our theme for our church this year is compassion, making a difference. And of course, we reveal that at the end of our message. We gave, have some bookmarks and, and things. It was a great Sunday. But I just want that to be our philosophy of, of ministry this year and, and moving forward at our church, which is compassion. Uh, compassion, compassion and outreach, compassion and discipleship, compassion and giving out the gospel, compassion and telling others about Jesus Christ, compassion and teaching, just compassion. Compassion to be uh, our mindset as we seek to start new ministries. Are, are they compassion? Are we reflecting the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because we know Jesus over and over again in the Gospels, we hear of him being moved with compassion. And being moved with compassion, he then did something about that. He, he worked, he did something about that. He made a difference. So we need to emulate our Savior, as, as we should always, but our emphasis this year in our church is just compassion, making a difference. We also had our, our business meeting, which went well, went great. And we elected officers for the first time for our, our little church plant. We elected officers. We elected a, one deacon, one trustee, and we elected a treasurer, and we elected a clerk. And we were able to have a bit of an ordination service for that deacon, uh, a brief ordination service where all the men laid their hands on him, prayed over him as he started his ministry the biblical ministry of being a deacon in our church. So it was an exciting Sunday at our church, exciting Sunday at New Beginning Baptist Church, and we look forward to what the Lord's going to do this year in our church. So getting back to our, our topic at hand, the plot line of prophecy, I'm going to read Titus 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So looking for that glorious appearing, looking for that blessed hope of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the plot line of prophecy, part two. So first, let's review the golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. I'm going to also review quickly our plan and how we are proceeding through our study of the end times. We had that introductory material in the first podcast recorded, and then we moved on to this section we're calling the plot line of Bible prophecy. We'll be here for a few messages, a few uh, podcasts on this. And this, the plot line of Bible prophecy, is just an overview 
and a map of the big picture of Bible prophecy, an overview and a map of the big picture of our study. And then after that, moving on to the setting, and that's the places of the end times, the signs of the end times. And after that, we're going to move to the next section we're going to move to in our study is the cast of characters. That's just getting to know the main individual actors of the end times. And after that, our next section is the scaffolding and structure of the end times. Mainly the timeline and nation actors of the end times, mainly a study of the book of Daniel. And then the final section, we're calling it the main narrative. That's mainly going to be a study in the book of Revelation, of course, with, with lots of cross-referencing back to the Old Testament and other books of the Bible as we go. So our introduction to Plotline of Bible Prophecy Part 2 uh, is the majority of professing Christians admit to the fact of the second coming of Jesus, but they do not agree as to the manner or time of his return. However, most genuinely born-again, blood-washed Christians believe that he is coming back to this earth. For the grace of God that saves us also teaches us to look for him. Titus 2, 11 to 13 again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope, looking for that glorious appearing. We are to be looking for that blessed hope. We are to be looking for the glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are to be looking for that blessed hope. We're to be looking for that glorious appearing. We're to be looking for Jesus to come back. So that leads us to a question. How will Jesus come the second time? We know how he came the first time. We have that account in our New Testament. But how will Jesus come the second time? Well, the scripture is clear as the manner of Christ's second coming to this earth. First of all, we have the testimony of Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, he said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew 16, 27. In Matthew 25, 31 to 32, Jesus said, When a Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Reassuring his disciples in John 14, 1-3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now let's talk about the bodily return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back to this earth bodily, in person, not in spirit, not as an angel, not as an influence, but as a man, the man, Christ Jesus. In Acts 1.11, Luke tells us that a risen Christ showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem till they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. They would receive power, which would enable them to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, 
and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath's day journey, Acts 1, 9-12. Notice this passage says, This same Jesus, this same Jesus shall return back to earth in like manner, or the same manner, or in the same way, or fashion as he left. That means his return will be visible. His return will be personal. His return will be on the Mount of Olives. The two men that stood by the disciples assured them that the same Jesus, with whom they had walked, with whom they had talked, with whom they had fellowshiped, would come again exactly as they had seen him disappear. The Apostle Paul believed in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that glorious passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he declared that the Lord himself bodily will descend from heaven and will call the church up to meet him in the air. James expected the bodily return of Jesus and exhorted the brethren, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, James 5, 7. Peter believed in the personal return of Jesus. He declared, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, and we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 2 Peter 1.16 Peter was speaking here of his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, which is a type of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 17, 1-5 says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration is a type of the resurrection saints. Elijah is a type of the translated saints, those who will be caught up without Dying. Peter, James, and John, who were present that day, are a type of the Jewish remnant that shall see Jesus when he comes the second time. Enoch, who was translated up to heaven, also believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude 14-15 Certainly John the Beloved believed in and looked for the bodily return of the Lord. He not only penned the reassuring words of Jesus in John chapter 14, 1-6, 
But also in his first epistle he wrote, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming, 1 John 2, 28. Then in Revelation 1, 7, John testified, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every knee shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. This could be nothing short of the personal, bodily return of Jesus. Finally, if you have your Bibles handy, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. John the Beloved gives this testimony there in Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. John wrote, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then in the next last verse, of the Revelation, John gives these words of expectation. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, 20. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. In the Old Testament, there are many times Many times more references to the second coming of Jesus, as there are references to his first coming. In the New Testament, one verse out of every 30 speaks of the Lord's second coming. Yet in the face of all this divine truth, there are many people who boldly deny the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are scoffers, of whom Peter says, Knowing this first, and there shall come in the last days scoffers walking about their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. 2 Peter 3, 3 3-5. Now let's look at the time of Christ's second coming. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. From these words spoken by Jesus to his disciples, we can be sure that no one knows the exact time of his second coming. But the Bible has much to say about the time immediately preceding his return. Paul wrote of the times and the seasons which herald the Lord's second coming. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-10 say this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. 
We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now look at verse 9 again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, is going to be very important for us to take note of. You may want to underline that phrase. That phrase is going to help us in figuring out the timing of the rapture and the start of the tribulation. In the parable of the fig tree, Jesus told his disciples, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Matthew 24, 32-33 When the fig tree puts forth leaves, those who are familiar with the life process of the fig tree know that summer is near. Like when we see the fruit trees begin to bud and blossom, we know that spring is coming. But we cannot name the exact day that winter will finally leave us for good and spring will finally spring forth. But by observing the buds and the blooms and other indicators or signs, if you will, we can know that spring will be coming soon. And though we cannot pinpoint the exact day, hour, or minute, it will do so. We recognize the seasons of the year by the changes in temperature. And there are various other signs that indicate for us the coming of spring, the coming of summer, the coming of fall, and the coming of winter. I think it is fair to say that when we can see signs all around us that tell us the Lord has to come back sooner than later, it would appear that the fig tree is right now putting forth its leaves. Jesus must return before the millennium. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus must return before the millennium, the thousand years of peace on earth, when Jesus will reign in righteousness as spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. This extended time of peace on earth and goodwill toward men is referred to in the scripture as the kingdom and is described in glorious terms by the prophets. The millennium will be a time when the earth will be blessed with universal rule of righteousness and peace. Men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Jesus, the prince of peace, will occupy the throne of David in Jerusalem and peace will engulf the entire planet. The structure of the New Testament demands that Christ return to this earth before the millennium. This is evident for the following reasons. Number one, the righteous dead must be raised before the millennium because they are to reign with Christ during that glorious 1,000 years. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-23 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Number two, the nations must be judged before the millennium. Since the millennium will be a period of 1,000 years of universal righteousness, the tares must be separated from the wheat before that time of righteousness and peace on earth. And the separation of the tares from the wheat 
will not take place until Jesus comes the second time. They will both grow together until the harvest, at which time Jesus will say to his reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew 13, verse 30, and then verses 40 to 43. And number three, there can be no millennium as long as the devil has his freedom, and certainly we know that Satan is running rampant today. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Revelation 20, 1-3. Number four, the false messiah, the Antichrist, must appear and be put down before the millennium. His time of influence and reign will last for approximately seven years, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. The armies of the Antichrist will be destroyed. The beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire, and the millennial will begin, Revelation 19.20. Number five, the Jews must be restored to their own land before the millennium. They will be restored as a nation, and when Jesus comes a second time, they will recognize him as their Messiah. They will fall at his feet and worship him, a nation will be born in a day, and the millennium kingdom promised to Israel will begin. Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Revelation 1 and verse 7. Now, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 28 says this, For I'll take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Now I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. We are still talking about the Jews being restored to their land. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Zechariah 13.6 And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Such a sad statement. Zechariah 14.1-4 Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut, shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth 
and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Notice that one phrase in that passage in Zechariah 14, 1-4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. That is, when he ascended into heaven and the apostles looked up, his feet left the Mount of Olives. And the angels told them that he would return in like manner. And we see here in Zechariah chapter 14, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. I want to repeat this for emphasis. Jesus can come for his church at any moment. There's not one single prophecy that remains to be fulfilled before his coming in the rapture. Now we're going to look at the rapture. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 7. We're going to briefly take a look at the rapture. We'll look at this in more detail when we get to Revelation. Around chapter 4, chapter 5, we'll be looking at the rapture in more detail there, but we're going to take a brief look at the rapture now. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now as we've previously gone over, the second coming of Christ will be in two stages. And the words just quoted described the first stage of his coming. The time when he comes in the air and calls his church up to meet him. In the second stage of his coming, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14.4, and the saints will come with him to reign with him on earth. The time between the two stages of his second coming will be approximately at least seven years. It will comprise the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, during which time Antichrist will reign on earth and the saints will be rewarded for service. Their works will be judged and they will attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. Its literal meaning is simply to catch away, and that's exactly what will happen when Christ comes in the rapture. He will catch away all believers. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54 Now the rapture will be in two stages, or it will be a two-fold rapture. From the passage of Scripture we've just read, we see that the rapture will have these two stages, or it will be a two-fold rapture. First, the dead in Christ will be raised. This speaks of the body, not the spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians chapter 1. There is no such thing as soul sleep. When the believer dies, the body returns to dust, but the spirit returns to, to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. The dead in Christ are born-again believers who have departed this life, whose bodies have returned to dust, and whose spirits are resting in paradise in heaven. When the rapture occurs, Jesus will bring the spirits of the righteous with him, and their bodies will then be resurrected in glorified form to be reunited with their spirits. And then number two, the second phase of the rapture, 
the living saints will then be changed, will then be caught up in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And together, all saints will be caught up, raptured, to meet the Lord in the air. First, the dead in Christ will be raised, then the living saints will be changed, and then we'll all be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. What a glorious day that will be. Jesus clearly taught a twofold character of the rapture when he spoke with Martha just before the rising of Lazarus. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This speaks of the personal resurrection of saints who have died physically. Their bodies will be raised and they will live eternally. You know, I've always thought it would be neat to be visiting the grave of my parents, which happens to be right next to the grave of my grandparents, not to be right there visiting the graveyard when the rapture occurs and get to see my mother and father and my grandfather and grandmother be caught up, rise up together, bodies rise up, and then me following quickly behind. I thought if I could have my wish, that's how I wish that would happen to me anyway, at the point of the rapture that I'd be visiting that graveyard, and then we all I'll just kind of go up together. That'll be, that'll be nice. Um, but Jesus went on to say in John eleven twenty six, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now this speaks of believers who will be living when Jesus descends in the air. He calls the church up to meet him, and they will be translated, glorified, but will not see death. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Boy, it'd be great to be caught up in the rapture and not have to face death, wouldn't it? Uh, the rapture will be sudden, and it will be quick. In Matthew twenty four twenty seven, Jesus said, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the span of a flash of lightning, the rapture of the church will take place, and it will be the most startling, world-shaking event to ever happen. Matthew twenty four twenty seven again. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Since believers will be caught up from all over the world at the same time, that part of the world that is not asleep will see the terrible chaos and tragedy which will immediately take place. They will not see the believers depart because their going would be so sudden. But they will be aware that loved ones are missing, friends have suddenly been taken away, Perhaps even conversations cut short by the instant disappearance of believers to whom the sinner was talking. Yes, the rapture will be a startling event. And when the people of earth recover from the shock and fear, they would discover that many of their friends and loved ones are missing. People who have heard sermons on the second coming of Jesus will realize what has taken place. But others who know nothing of prophecy and the second coming will be in utter ignorance to what has happened and to them it will be a great mystery. For a few days, perhaps weeks, after the rapture, 24-7 cable news networks, radio stations, newspapers, internet sites, and, and blogs will all be filled with news and pictures relative to the great event, which has so suddenly thrown the world into panic, chaos, and confusion. All TV stations, all cable stations will give 24-7 coverage to the news and discussions about this event that has taken place on the earth. All these people suddenly disappeared. But when the excitement dies down and people begin to adjust to routine, when a plausible explanation, literally a great lie and deception, 
has been given, and many of the earth dwellers begin to accept that deception as to what has happened, things will begin to settle down, and the world will continue on into its wickedness. Now let's look at the timing of the rapture relative to the tribulation. Remember earlier, the verse I told you that was important in regard to the timing of the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse says that God has not appointed us unto wrath, which means we will not be under the wrath of God. We will not suffer the wrath of God. The church will not suffer through the wrath of God that's poured out onto the earth during the tribulation. The key word in this verse to note is wrath. Paul tells us we will not be under wrath. Now, Revelation 3 and verse 10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon this earth. So in this verse you see the Lord is promising the church that he would keep us from the hour of temptation, or that he would keep us from the hour of tribulation, which will come to all those that dwell upon the earth, or to all those that are left upon the earth after the rapture. So this is teaching a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, Revelation 6.10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Revelation 6.16-17 says, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Notice in verse 10 how it says, them that dwell on the earth. That is the same language we found in Revelation 3 and verse 10. So it would appear that the rapture has occurred. Now let's briefly consider the riders on the horses. Uh, Revelation 6, 1-8 says this, And I saw when the Lord opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, one thing I want to point out in verse 2 is that the rider of the white horse had a bow, but he had no arrows. And continuing on in verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And when they went out, another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Verse 5, when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. This is indicating there would be a massive food inflation. Uh, verse 7, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So the riders on the horses. The riders on these horses have been come to be called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now the rider on the white horse. Notice again he has a bow, but he does not have an arrow, which means he consolidates power and influence by threat of force, but not actually using force. Now this rider on the white horse is not Jesus Christ. Many people will say this is, but 
this rider on this particular white horse is not Jesus Christ. Uh, we could see what I said, just said about this. This means this man on this white horse, he has a bow but no arrows. It means he consolidates power and influence by a threat of force, but not actually using force. We could see this play out on the world stage rather easily prior to the rapture. For example, so far the leader of China has threatened a lot of force. He has consolidated a lot of power, but he's not directly attacked other countries as of yet. So he's consolidating power with a threat of force, but not actually a use of force. The rider on the red horse. This rider takes peace away from the world that they kill one another. We could see this playing out with possibly Putin. We see peace on the earth being taken away rather quickly. We can see how this could happen rather easily and quickly. And we can see lots of death happening as a result of that. This is not hard to imagine or project to happen in our day and time. Now the rider on the black horse. This rider seems to be telling us there will be massive inflation, especially massive inflation on food. Food prices will soar. This almost feels like it's playing out right now. It almost seems as if the rider on the black horse could be running around the world right now. So it does not seem far-fetched to see this happening uh, right after the rapture. Now the rider on the pale horse. This rider causes the death of one quarter of the population of the earth. Today, that would be about two billion people. But he says he does it with sword and with hunger. Well, we can see that with sword, by war, we could see people dying. With hunger, well, there's massive food inflation at this point. Uh, so we could see people, lots of people dying because they just simply could not afford to buy the food they need to feed themselves and their family. It says with death, we could see that with a global pandemic, for example, taking the lives of lots of people. So the rider of this horse is very plausible. We could see how this could happen right after the rapture. We could see how something like this could happen. We could see how something like this could happen almost in our day and time. So we could easily see this happening after the rapture. So to wrap things up for this podcast, for this message, as you can see with a study like this, a study on the end times, there is a lot to go over. There is a lot to unpack as we get closer to today. You can see if you take a careful study of this, it will take a long time. We don't want to rush through this. We don't want to just hit a few highlights and, and preach a short 12-week message, 12-week series on the end times or the book of Revelation. We want to make sure we're teaching it thoroughly, teaching it right. I uh, want to make sure we are preaching the whole counsel of God. So as you can see, with a study like this, there's a lot to go over. There is a lot to unpack, especially as we get closer to the day. Closer to the day, the Lord gives his people more illumination to what is ahead and what is coming and shows us or gives us insight to how all this could play out. We know that Jesus will return bodily to this earth. We know his second coming will be in two parts the rapture of the saints off this earth, and then number two, then when he comes back to the earth at the end of the tribulation to step foot once again onto the Mount of Olives. We know he is coming soon, for we are seeing signs of his second coming. And if we are seeing signs of his second coming, that means the rapture is at least seven years closer than the second coming. That means the rapture is at least that much closer if we're seeing signs of his second coming already. Imagine how close the rapture is. 
So the rapture has to be very close to happening on God's timetable, on God's calendar. The trumpet will soon be sounding. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to have your works judged? Are you ready to give an account of your life before our thrice holy God and Savior? We are living in the end of the end times. We need to be prepared for what is coming. As we went over war, skyrocketing inflation, global pandemics, a world leader that consolidates power, what little peace the world enjoys vanishing. These are all distinct possibilities that could be on the horizon in the not-so-distant future for our planet. Are you ready? He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 20. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready for the rapture? If you're not 100% sure you're on your way to heaven right now, please talk to someone you know that can show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. Talk to someone that show you, explain to you the gospel message, how you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have no one near you that can do that, please contact our church at newbeginningbaptist.church. There's our contact information. We'll be happy to walk you through that. But please make sure you are ready. Make sure you are 100% sure you are saved and you will not be left on this earth after the rapture. <music> 